This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and good evening. George Burns and Gracie Allen, a husband-wife comedy team, entertained from the stages of vaudeville, radio, and television for four decades. Their radio shows often included special guests, and tonight, that special guest is William Bendix. Now, he is not the son of uh, Brooklyn, New York, although because of his stereotypical Brooklyn accent, it's been widely supposed that he was. In fact, he was actually born in the borough of Manhattan, or New York City proper, in a midtown flat hard by the tracks of a long-since-defunct Third Avenue elevated railway. Jut-jawed, broken-nosed, and burly, Bendix began his career after the ravages of the Great Depression had killed his erstwhile grocery business. Having performed in nightclubs, even while a grocer and having portrayed taxicab drivers in a series of Broadway flops, he enjoyed his first notable performance on the Broadway stage in 1939, portraying the cop Krupp in William Soroyan's The Time of Your Life. More often than not, in his movies, he received less than top billing, inasmuch as so many of his film assignments involved supporting roles. Bendix made his success in the Gill's production of The Time of Your Life, and he was spotted in the play by Hal Roach, who signed him to a film contract. Within a year, he had been nominated for an Academy Award and was firmly established as a major supporting player. And he achieved great popularity with the radio show, the one we're going to hear tonight, The Life of Riley. So let's go back to 1953 and catch up on what's going on with George and Gracie and William Bendix. Bill Goodwin speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles. Well, it's Tuesday night again, time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, our guest William Bendix, a special visitor, Herbert Marshall, Jimmy Cash, the Swan Cat, and Felix Mills and his orchestra. And now meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. Well, breakfast is just over at the Burns house, and George is about to leave for the office. Oh, George, I don't think you ought to go to the office today. You don't look well. Oh, I'm all right. A little tired. I, I worked late last night. No, darling. It's more than that. You weep. Why, at breakfast, you had to hit your boiled egg four times to crack it. <laughs> I did, huh? Yeah. And when you're feeling your usual robust self, you only have to hit it three times. <laughs> Yeah, before I was married, I could crack them with my bare hands. Well, I better get started for the office. No, dear. What you need is rest and nourishment. Now, you lie down while I go get a chicken and milk it for you. 
You're gonna milk the chicken? Well, I, I would cream it, but all I have is milk. <laughs> Say, cream chicken. <clears throat> Sounds great, but I'd rather get to the office. No, there. darling. You're gonna rest right here in this den. Shall I bring down the flower pajamas I gave you for Christmas? No, don't bother. They don't look good on me. Oh, I think they're very becoming. Why, across the hips, the flowers look like they're just ready to burst into bloom. <laughs> ah, never mind. Oh, dear company. I'll close the door so nothing will disturb you. Greetings, dear lady. Oh, good morning, Mr. Bolingbroke. Well, how is your School of Culture and Dramatic Art coming along? Alas, it no longer exists. Me landlady cast me forth from me lodgings. Ah, oh, too bad. Yes, and one cannot teach culture on a park bench. Policemen and pigeons spoil the mood. <laughs> Wait, I have an idea. Why couldn't you use my house for your culture school? Who knows, it might become as famous as the Louvre, the Acropolis, the Palladium. <laughs> it's a splendid idea. Ah, uh, but there is an insect in the ointment of culture. Your husband. For some obscure reason, he considers me a bum. Oh, well, don't worry. We'll only hold classes while George is at the office. Now, you get whatever you need for the culture school, and I'll get rid of my husband. Good luck to you, Mrs. Burns, and good riddance to your husband. Why, George, haven't you gone to work yet? Huh? Let me see your tongue. Ah. Well, it looks fine, not a bit bloodshot. But, Gracie, a minute ago you said... Uh, put on your coat while I answer the door. Yes? Excuse me, lady, but is this where the Gilhoolies live? No. Now, I'm sorry. You have the wrong address. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> Who was that? I don't know, but he looked kind of familiar. Well, goodbye, George. Hurry to the office. Do you really think I ought to go? I feel kind of dizzy. Maybe I've got something. My father never missed a day's work in his life. He had lots of things to make him dizzy. I know. I married one of them. <laughs> Hi, folks. Oh, hello, Bill. You leaving, George? I guess so. Bill, do you think I look my usual self this morning? Well, no, George, you don't. See, Gracie? You look good. <laughs> Goodbye, funny man. Oh, Bill, now that George is gone, I can tell you the wonderful news. I, I didn't want George to find out about it, so you're the first one I'm telling. Why, Gracie, you you're going to have a baby. I am? <laughs> oh, Bill, that's better news than I have for you. Well, when do you think it'll be? Well, wait a minute, Gracie. Isn't that what you were going to tell me? Oh, well, uh, what is the news, Gracie? Well, Nigel Bolingbroke and I are opening a school of drama and culture. Oh, really? Well, say, maybe I could teach diction. Oh, are you good at that? Well, Grace, I don't want to brag, but just yesterday, one of the biggest radio announcers in this town came to me to help him with his voice. Really? Oh, yeah, he said, um, Bill, old friend, my sponsor is unhappy. Show me how you say swine. The new white floating soap is for soaps in one. The soap for your hands and face for bathing the baby. And the soap for your dishes and light laundry. Show me that, Bill. Oh, the poor man. Did you help him? Well, when I got through with him, he was talking like this. 
Swan is a great wartime buy. <laughs> when you wash the dishes with a swan, you get heaps of suds. Suds so gentle, so mild, uh, you don't have to worry about rough uh, red dish panty hands. <laughs> He talked like that on his program and the sponsor was happy, huh? No, the sponsor fired him. He was supposed to sell coffee. <laughs> well, now, now, Bill, I'm afraid you won't do as a teacher. Well, okay, Gracie. Oh, by the way, before I go, do you know the Gilhoolies in this neighborhood? Well, no, that's funny. There was another man here asking for them. Well, that must have been William Bendix. He's trying to locate these friends of his from Brooklyn. William Bendix, the, the movie star? Yeah. Oh, my goodness, and I practically slammed the door in his face. Oh, the poor man. From the looks of his face, it's had lots of doors slammed on it. <laughs> well, you know, Gracie, Bendix is really a swell guy. I worked with him in the picture, Wake Island. You remember that big, dumb Marine? Yeah, I, I thought you were very good. <laughs> No, he, he was the big dumb Marine. Oh, oh, yes. Say, Bill, wouldn't William Bendix be a wonderful guinea pig for our culture school? Well, what do you mean? Well, if we could make a suave, sophisticated, leading man out of him, we'd be famous. You'd be magicians. He doesn't go for that culture stuff, Gracie. Well, uh, maybe I can get him interested. Oh, excuse me, Bill. Look, lady, are you sure you don't know where the Gilhoolies live? I'm just dying to talk to somebody from Brooklyn. Welcome right in, Mr. Bendix. You mean you're from Brooklyn? Well, they call me Green Perch Gracie. Well, hallelujah! Our young tenor, Jimmy Cash, with a brand new popular ballad, So Good Night. James? Good night, nothing more left to say when day is through. My dreams will all be of
Maddox is the ideal pupil for her school of drama and culture. So she has lured him into the house by pretending to be from Brooklyn. Gee, lady, it sure is great to meet somebody from Brooklyn. Oh, yes, the motherland. Yeah. Ah, such a lovely place with its trees and its flowers and its little flat bushes. Yeah, you said a kisserful lady. What memories? Eating weenies and kraut from a pushcart while the new moon caresses the navy yard. You make it sound like poetry, Mr. Bendix. Oh, I don't take no credit. Brooklyn brings out the poet in anybody that's human. And you are, aren't you? Yes. Well, enough about Brooklyn. Let's talk about you, Mr. Bendix. Okay, that's an interesting subject. Um, how does it feel to be such a flop in pictures? Hmm? Oh, I ain't doing so bad. Well, the folks back home are disappointed in your playing a cab driver. They, they'd rather see you as Romeo or Madame Curie. Oh, I couldn't play them. They was foreigners. <laughs> Just the same, the home folks feel that you've let them down. And they don't feel that way about Ronald Coleman. Gee, is he from Brooklyn? <laughs> One of the oldest families. Well, that's funny. I never run into him in none of the saloons. <laughs> and Brooklyn is mighty proud of Walter Pigeon. Him too? Sure. You don't say. You see, Mr. Coleman and Mr. Pigeon are successful because they're cultured Brooklyn gentlemen. Yeah. They make out pretty good with the dames, too, huh? Oh, oh, are you interested in women? Oh, yeah, they could very easily become a hobby with me. <laughs> well, uh, why do you suppose Charles Boyer always gets the girls? Politics. No, because he's a cultured Brooklyn gentleman. I thought he was French. That's right, from the French Quarter of Brooklyn. <laughs> the left bank. The left bank? Yeah. You know, the other side of the Canasi Swamp. Oh, yeah. A lovely spot. Mm -hmm. You could get the girls, too, if you'd brush up on culture. Now, uh, for instance, I'll bet you blow on your hoop. Well, sure, but strictly proper, I never blow on it toward me. <laughs> Ronald Coleman doesn't blow on his soup at all. Fans it with his bread, huh? Mr. Bendix, you do need culture. Wouldn't you like to become a gentleman? Lady, I'm a gentleman to the tip of my toes. Oh, maybe, but from there up you need plenty of work. I do. Huh? Yeah. Now, for example, what would you do at a party if a young lady held out her hand to you? I guess I'd bite it. <laughs> Ronald Coleman would kiss it. Well, he ain't as lonesome as I've been. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you, you better enroll in culture school right away. Okay, I'll give it a try. Where is this seat of higher learning? You're sitting on it. This is the school? Yep. We have a course that's guaranteed to make the average man a gentleman in a week. Well, do you think you can make me a gentleman in a week? Well, it might take a little longer, but don't worry, the months will fly by. Well. Come in. She's ideal, lady. Oh, come in, Dean Bolingbroke. I want you to meet our student, William Bendick. Well, well, our first sucker, uh, seeker after knowledge. Uh, hiya, Dean. Do you think you can make me a Ronald Coleman? Hey, boy, we shall plant in you the flower of culture. It's up to you to make it bloom. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll bloom beautifully in Mr. Bendix. He's a perfect pot. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you. And now, my dear scholar, uh, uh, shall we discuss that little matter of uh, the uh, uh, enrollment fee? Shall we? <laughs> oh, uh, you mean dough? Yes, yes. Uh, dough, as you so delightfully put it. <laughs> uh, naturally, you want to enroll for all our courses. Oh, sure. I'll take everything you got. It's mutual. <laughs> Now, uh, just count your money slowly into my palm. Okay. Ten. For elocution. Twenty. For rhetoric. Twenty-five. For poise. Thirty. For elocution. <laughs> you said that. Uh, uh, that was compound elocution. This is complex. Ah, oh, well. I guess that's the bundle. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Here's a book I didn't see. You may keep that for your honesty. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, dear. Well, not at all. You show great promise, dear pupil. I predict that you will make the Hall of Fame. And I didn't make a bad haul myself. Uh, farewell, friends. Oh, no, wait, Mr. Bolingbroke. How about Mr. Bendix's culture lesson? Well, there isn't time today. If your husband comes home and catches us running this culture school, he'll skin us alive. Oh, dear, that's right. And we haven't got the skin to spare like he has. <laughs> How true. Oh, Mr. Bendix, you better come back tomorrow. Goodbye. Well, gee whiz, I paid my dough. I want a lesson. Uh, Mrs. Burns, I suggest we step into the next room and hold a faculty meeting. Excuse us, Mr. Bendix. Gee, if the folks back in Flatbush could only see me now. Me in a culture school. Hello. Hello. Aren't you William Bendix? Yeah, why? Well, nothing. I'm a little surprised to see you here. Well, you look a little out of place yourself. <laughs> out of place? I live here. Gee, she ain't made you much like Ronald Coleman. <laughs> she? Yeah, the little dame, your daughter. <laughs> she happens to be my wife. Oh, well, well, I'm your new student. Student? Look, where is my wife? She's in there. Well, excuse me. Why, George, you're not supposed to be home this early. I mean, uh, hello, dear. Falling broke, what are you doing here? Leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> Gracie, what's William Bendix doing in the living room? He says he's a student here. Is, is that all, all he told you? Yes. If he's a student, who's his teacher? You. Me? What do I teach him? Singing. Oh, stop. Oh, it's true, darling. You've been the talk of Hollywood since you sang at that party the other night. Well, I, I did kind of make a hit, didn't I? Oh, yes, dear. When you sang the desert song, you were so believable. All the sand and gravel of the desert seemed to be right in your throat. <laughs> My desert is calling. Oh, come back to me. Oh, oh. my sheep. So that's why Bendix is here. That's what the teacher was saying. Sure. You know, Gracie, when I walked in here, I half expected you to make up some kind of a lie. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you're cute. <laughs> Felix Mills and his orchestra, and tonight with the Swan Ted, an old favorite that's back in favor now, 
my ideal. apart so that George won't find out his home has been turned into a culture school. Well, I'm going in to show Bendix how I sing. Oh, no, you, you can't, dear. You see, when you sang the desert song just now, you didn't sound right. The, the gold was missing from your voice. No gold at all? Well, it was tarnished. <laughs> Some of the notes you sang were sort of green. Gee, I, I thought I sounded swell. My desert is calling. No, no, oh, I'm sorry, oh, maybe, yeah. no, no. But uh, I'm very sensitive to the quality of your voice. When it's bell-like tones are perfect, my whole body quivers. And it didn't quiver then? No, only my left leg twitched a little. <laughs> you mean... You mean I'm slipping? No, I'm sure it's nothing permanent. Uh, just this morning you were superb when you sang in the shower. Oh, I love the way you kept tuned to the rhythm of the drum beat. What drum beats? The water bouncing off your stomach. <laughs> oh, that. Showers seem to help your voice. Why don't you go up and take another shower now? A nice long one. But, sweetheart... Oh, please, George. Wash yourself back into shape and then show Mr. Bendix how you sing. Well, okay. I want him to hear me at my best. Uh, just tell him I won't be long. All right, dear. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry I left you so long, Mr. Bendix, but... My husband is home now, and I'll have to give you your culture lesson tomorrow. Goodbye. Well, gee, lady, I want to go out stepping tonight. Couldn't you just slip me enough culture to get anyhow an ugly dame? Well, 
uh, maybe a short lesson, just long enough for a shower. What's that? Oh, nothing, nothing. Now, we'll pretend that we're Hollywood's two most charming and sophisticated personalities. Uh, you'll be Ronald Coleman, and I'll just be myself. Okay. Now, you're serving me tea, and you just say whatever you think Mr. Coleman would say. All right. Uh, 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 a saucer of tea, your madam ship? Mm, cheerio. Lemon? Quite. Trumpet? No, just squeeze it. A uh, spoon? Oh, let's have our tea first. Pip, pip. Been hunting today, Ronald? Constantly. How was the hunt? It stunk. You, um, you didn't catch a fox? No, they wasn't fighting. Oh, how dreadful. Beastly. Well, how am I doing? Oh, you were wonderful. If it wasn't for a few things like your face, I'd have sworn you were Ronald Coleman. Hiya, Gracie. Oh, hello, Bill. Bendix, are you still here? Mr. Goodwin, you are now looking at the Bendix that all the women want. Well, you are built a little like a washing machine. <laughs> One more dirty crack and I'll kick your teeth in. Oh, Mr. Bendix, hmm? remember your culture. You should say, One more uncouth remark and I'll kick your teeth in. Oh, yeah. You see, Goodwin, this little lady has molded me into a Ronald Coleman. Really? It doesn't show. Oh, Bill, I think he definitely looks molded. <laughs> oh, George is out of the shower. You boys better leave. Uh, Mr. Bendix, I'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Bye. Well, Goodwin, now that I'm cultured, I ought to get plenty of things. Now, now, look, Bendix, if you want to get somewhere with the women, listen to me. Now, let's say that you have a beautiful woman in your home. Well, that's already further than I ever got before. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now, now, first you want to show her that nothing's too good for her, oh. you see. So you open the bar and you tell her to help herself. Yeah, go on. Yeah, her eyes will light up and she'll say, Oh, Mr. Bendix, for me, that whole bar of swan? Bar what? A swan. That's the new white floating soap. Women are crazy about swan because it's four soaps in one. Great for their hands and face or for bathing the baby. And tops for dishes and light laundry. Swan is four swell soaps in one, a great wartime buy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me I can get beautiful dames with swan soap? Well, sure. Holy smoke, and I've been wasting that stuff taking a bath with it. <laughs> well, no, Bill, that's not wasting it. A swan bath's wonderful. Even babies love those mild as may swan suds. Swan's pure as fine castiles. Say, if Swan is that mild, that pure, you couldn't ask for a better soap for your complexion. Well, yeah, 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 but, but, but what about this beautiful dame I got in my home? Yeah. She's standing there clutching a bar of soap. Now, now, what, uh... What now? Well, yeah. now you, you take her in your arms, Bill, and you squeeze her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One little squeeze, does it? The bar of Swan breaks in two. Huh? And you put... Half in the bathroom for your hands and face tub or shower, and half in the kitchen for your dishes and light laundry. Then you send the dame home. Send her home? Oh, my goodness. Haven't you boys gone yet? Well, we were just... Well, uh, it's too late now. My husband's on his way down to give you a singing lesson. Singing lesson? But Ronald Coleman doesn't sing. But think how many more women you'll attract if you talk like Coleman and sing like Sinatra. 
Gee. Oh, you can be a new and different Sinatra. The microphone can lean on you. Gracie, George is giving singing lessons? Oh, yes. Why, if it weren't for him, Frank Sinatra wouldn't be where he is today. George? Sure, he found an apartment for him. <laughs> well, Bernix, uh, I'm ready for your singing lesson. Now sit down and I'll show you how you'll sound after five or six years of hard study. I ain't got nobody. Nobody cares for me. Including me. Goodbye, George. <laughs> I'm so sad and lonely, baby. Won't somebody take a chance with me? But do. <gasps> oh, you see, see how he closes his eyes, Mr. Bendix. Yeah, he's closing the wrong thing. I'll sing sweet love songs all the time. If you'd be my baby, baby, then you'd be mine. I ain't got nobody, babe. And nobody, nobody, nobody cares for me. Well, Mr. Bendix, when you learn to sing like that, you'll get plenty of women. Lady, the dames I could get with a voice like that, I wouldn't want. So long. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us tonight a very dear friend of ours, you all know and admire, who has an important message for us all. May I present Herbert Marshall. In the past five years in this country, 50,000 persons have been stricken by infantile paralysis. Thousands of these victims, most of little children, are still crippled. They need care, which you can help to give them by joining the fight against infantile paralysis. The National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis needs your dimes and dollars now to care for those already crippled and to check future epidemics. Send your dimes and dollars to President Roosevelt at the White House. Address your contributions to the White House, Washington, D.C. Join the March of Dimes and do it today. Oh, thank you, Mr. Marshall. Good night, sir. Our guest tonight, William Bendix, is now heard in his own radio program, The Life of Riley. His next motion picture will be The Harry Eight. The makers of Swan, the new white floating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune into your Columbia station again next Tuesday, same time, when we will have as our guest, Paul Henry. The following week, William Powell. Remember, George Burns and Gracie Allen, CBS, next Tuesday night. And now, till next Tuesday, this is Bill Goodwin saying, Well, I, Swan... How about you? Good night, everyone. Stay tuned for Richard Diamond next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Richard Diamond is next on the bill in an episode entitled The Carnival. Listen while the makers of Rexall drug products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. (laughs) 
Now your Rexall family druggist brings you a transcribed half hour with Richard Diamond, private detective, starring Dick Powell. I'm a detective agency. We trail them, we nail them. If they're guilty, we jail them. No charge for poetry. Oh, no. Edgar guest with a shoulder holster. Hello, Helen, baby. Rick, guess what's in town? Unless I win something, I give up. The carnival. Well, is the balloon concession tied up yet? Oh, Rick, I'm serious. I haven't been to a carnival since I was little. Let's go tonight. You mean peanuts, popcorn, Cracker Jacks, and all that? Yes. Sounds awful. Oh, now, Rick. Please. Uh, okay, honey. I'll be around at eight. Shall I wear my knickers? Rick. Bye. That night, I picked up Helen. We went to the carnival. There were more people on the midway than Rexall has stores. We got pushed so much, I felt like the tax bill in Congress. Helen decided she wanted a Cupid doll, so we stopped at the shooting gallery. Hey, that's pretty good shooting. Think nothing of it. Just three more bullseyes and you win a doll. Well, here's your doll. Where'd you ever learn to shoot like that? At the skeet club. Would you like to try a shot, Rick? Uh, no thanks. Come on. Oh, Rick, isn't this doll cute? I... And now, oh, your amazement and proof of my statement, I'll ask him to step out here. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Samson, the strong man. Step right up, folks. He'll thrill you with his amazing feats of strength. Now, crowd right in. Don't be shy. There is no... Standing on the platform with the biggest collection of muscles I'd ever seen. Samson looked like an overgrown orangutan. And at least three tigers had contributed their all to the loincloth he wore around his middle. Samson, the great. And now our sensational offer. $100 to any man who will step up here and defy the mighty Samson to put him to sleep by squeezing his chest. Now it is harmless, my friends. And if any one of you daring gentlemen think the mighty one cannot put you to sleep with a mere squeeze... Then step right up. If Samson fails, then one hundred dollars is yours. Well, Rick. Now I tell you, friend. Well, Rick, what? Don't you want to show off? Not my insides. Rick, you mean you're afraid just to let him squeeze you? Honey, I'm afraid to let him breathe on me. Come on, let's go see that fortune teller. I stared Helen toward the next booth before she could talk me into anything my bones would regret tomorrow. The sign outside the tent read, Madam Tanya. Your past, your present, your future. And inside, we found Madame T staring intently into a crystal ball. She wore gypsy clothes and a heavy makeup that covered what might have been very lovely features. Welcome to the inner sanctum. Hmm. Haven't I heard you on the radio? She didn't crack a smile, and I didn't exactly blame her. She motioned us into chairs around the crystal. The room was decorated in about the same motif as the tattooed lady and would have impressed a man with a bad case of DTs. Madame Tanya went back to staring at the crystal, so I followed suit. I couldn't see a thing in the glass ball, but then maybe she picked up television on clear night. The crystal grows dim. Ah, I can see that you are both very much in love. Well, go on. It is good. This man adores you. He worships you. He idolizes you. Wake me up when I propose. You are an unbeliever? Oh, let's be modern. I'm a cynic. The crystal does not lie. But to make certain, 
I will consult the card. She picked up a deck that was too big for poker and too small for canasta. I should pay to watch a girl play solitaire? I nudged Helen we were about to leave when a tall, thin young man pushed back the canvas flap and walked in. Hey, Tony, I just... Oh, I didn't know you were busy. Excuse me. The boy pushed back the flap to go out and then made a sharp, gurgling noise in his throat. He doubled with pain and fell to the floor. Even from where I was sitting, I could see the big, ugly bullet hole in his chest. Don't scream. We'll have the whole crowd in here. Stand back, Helen. Is he hurt bad? You don't need a crystal ball for this, honey. He's dead. Even under the heavy makeup, I could see her face turn pale. I sent Helen to call the police, and then I looked around outside. The killer had either used a silencer or else the shot was not heard in the confusion. Twenty minutes later, Lieutenant Max Talbert arrived, followed by Sergeant Otis wearing his Hopalong Cassidy badge. Hi, Rick. Well, hello, Max. Where's Walt Levinson? He's on vacation, Rick. I've taken over his cases. Also his problems, I see. Hello, Otis. Hi, Shamus. So there's been another murder, huh? And you just happened to be here. Sounds suspicious to me. Otis, why don't you stick your head through a piece of canvas and let people throw baseballs at it? And get my brains knocked out? Oh, no. Why not? You got nothing to lose. Rick, uh, Miss Asher told me over the phone what happened. Sounds like we'll be looking for a needle in a haystack. You want to work on the case with us? Not particularly. I just happen to be here, that's all. Yeah. I still think that's awful funny. Otis, I'll send you my confession in the morning. So long, Max. It's not that I wasn't interested in the case. I was. But in my business, you can't poke your head into murder on a gratis basis. So I took Helen home. The next morning, I went to my office as usual. And then around 10 o'clock, I had a visitor. Mr. Diamond, I need your help. Well, thank my lucky stars. Sit down. Thank you. She looked like a well-dressed Lady Godiva, minus horse. I stifled a drool as she sat down, and then I realized that I'd seen her before. This was Madame Tanya, minus the heavy makeup, gypsy garb, and the phony accent. It's about last night's murder. You see, it's not the first. Four men have been killed within a year. And all because of me. Go on. My real name is Tony Lawrence. About a year ago, a boy I knew asked me for a date, and we went out. Next day, he was killed. There were two more after that who showed an interest in me. They both died, too. It's getting so every time a man looks at me twice, he's murdered. Well, it's a pleasant way to die. But uh, what about this kid last night? Well, he'd asked me for a date at a small party we had after the show one night. He worked in the show, but I hardly even knew him. I see. Did you tell Lieutenant Talbert all this? Yes. He says he'll have to make a systematic check on everyone on the show. That could take months. Yes, it could. Talbert's a good cop, though. Why'd you come to me? I want you to go back to the lot with me. I'll arrange to get you a job there. Honey, I got a job. I'm a private detective. Oh, I know. I'll pay you what you ask. Oh, well, that uh, understanding will just continue. Well, maybe working undercover, you'll be able to find out who's behind all this. Well, I... Uh... Oh, I'm sure it'll work. I'll get you a job as Barker for the girl show. Mm. You know, I've always wanted to run away with the girl show. We drove back to the carnival, and I became Rick Diamond, boy spieler. The kid who was murdered last night had asked Tony for a date at a small party. There were only three other people at that party, and it seemed logical that one of them was the killer. First on the party list was Chuckles, the clown. Tony took me over to his trailer. Here we are. I think you'll like Chuckles. 
You've got a great sense of humor. Well, Tony, come on in. Can't stay long, Chuckles. I want you to meet Rick Diamond. He's the new barker on the girls' show, and the boss wants me to introduce him to everyone. Well, any friend of Tony's is a friend of mine. Glad to know you, Rick. Yeah. How are you, Chuckles? Yeah, just fine. <laughs> so you got the job at the Shakers, huh? You ever barked before? Only at pet shows. Oh, well, you'll do a good business over there. All the old fogies go to see Karen. She's the head shaker. Is that all she shakes? <laughs> hey, hey, that's pretty good. Put some gags in your pitch. The crowd eats it up. We'd better go, Rick. You start to work soon. Yeah, well, drop around any time, huh? <laughs> Number two on the suspect list was Samson, the strong man. I remembered him from last night and took a last look at my fingers as we shook hands. Glad to meet you. Do you wrestle? No, but I'm a demon with jacks. Oh, I can't find no one around here to play with. Oh, you poor kid. Have you tried the lion cake? Rick's going to pitch the girl show, Samson. Oh, boy, that's no fun. Hey, look, kid, you work out with me, and someday you can be a strong man, too. Well, that's a tempting offer, but I'm afraid I'm just a natural-born sissy. Well, if you change your mind, come around and... And uh, you'll change my posture, I know. Glad to have met you, Samson. So long. Playful little character. He's really very nice. Hey, let's stop here for a hot dog. Good. My favorite meal. Give the man a cooked one, Maisie. You think, Tony? Uh, loaded with onions, honey. No date tonight. Aren't you hungry, Tony? Uh-uh. I've got to change for my act soon. Tell me, uh, how did a pretty girl like you get tied down to a crystal ball? Oh, I don't know. I grew up on shows. Mom and Dad were wire walkers. Well, I don't like high places, so I decided to be an actress. Mm-hmm. Well, after a few feeble stage attempts, I came back here. Now you do your acting in a tent. That's right. But these murders aren't solved soon. I'll be on the move again. Those, uh, those two characters we just met, you think one of them might be the killer? Yeah, They've always been friendly with me, but... Well, they did overhear that boy ask me for the date. Karen was there, too. Oh, yes, uh, the shaker, as Chuckles put it. You'll probably meet her later on. She's always quick to discover a new man. Well, I can hardly wait. Say, I'd better get back. I'll see you after the show tonight. Yeah, mister. It's got enough onions to keep you out of circulation for a week. Tony walked away, stopped, turned, and gave me a smile that made me feel warmer than the hot dog I began munching. She was a very pretty girl. Pretty enough for someone to kill any man she got interested in. And that someone was either a clown, a strong man, or a hula dancer. Yeah, it was quite a mess, and here I was in the middle of it. But as P.T. Barnum always said, there's a sucker born every minute. And now back to tonight's adventure with Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Step right up and see Karen and her friends. Come on, boys, don't be bashful. Put your wives on the Ferris wheel drawn in. Get away from me, son. You bother me. Only one-tenth of a dollar plus 15 cents in your old set. You'll see Karen, the blonde bombshell. That night, I yelled my head off. The crowd was heavy, and the men poured into the tent until there was panting room only. I looked at my watch and saw that I had four more hours to go. So I warned my tonsils and kept right at it. My mistake, Mr. Go on in. 
Four hours later, I felt like a politician and had a voice like Andy Devine. Tony met me after the crowds had left and we had a Coke. Tired? Tired? Me? No, no. 37 hours sleep and I'll be as good as new. <laughs> You'll get used to it. Oh, do I have to? I thought the girls' show would be great, but they're inside. I'm outside. Well, you'll meet Karen soon. Uh, that's some consolation. No, I'm saying, while I think of it, maybe we'd better not be seen together so much. I've got a great affection for life. Yeah, I've thought of that. You'd better go on from here alone. But, Ricky, be careful. I gave her my for you I will look, and then she left. I had been assigned a bunk in one of the trailers and was about to head toward it when something grabbed my arm. At first, I thought one of the snakes had left the charmer's neck. But this one had long, blonde hair. Hi. My name's Karen. We got a match. I'd heard the match line in a movie, but what this gal carried around could never pass the censor board. I'd been singing her praises all evening, and now I could see that I'd been guilty of understatement. Thanks. Oh, that's all right. I'm loaded with them. <laughs> hey, you're cute. The last guy had a lousy voice, but you're cute. What's your name? Diamond. You can call me Rick. You want to buy me a Coke? Sure. Well, never mind. I just wanted to see if you wanted to. Well, any more party games up your sleeve? Oh, sure. Lots more. Uh, I've seen you with Tony. You like her? Well, shouldn't I? I don't know. Only the way things have been happening, it ain't so healthy. Yeah, so I heard. You like her? She's all right. Burns me, though. She makes more dough than I do, and she's strictly no talent. She just makes up them stories. Now, me, I give the boys the money's worth. Well, uh, I bet you do. You know, I bet we get along real swell, you and me. Well, I, I hope we do. You know, there's nothing but jerks around here. You look sort of like a gentleman. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm just tired. <laughs> oh, I like it. You, uh, want to take me into town and go dancing? Well, I'm all worn out tonight. Oh, but... I don't really want to go. Just want to know if you'd like to take me. Oh, we're back at that. Yes, I would like to take you. Good. Oh, gee, it's a nice night for a walk. Oh, would you like uh, to... Uh, let's not go around again. Say, you're awful cute. Good night. That night, I went to bed with a lot on my mind and an ice pack around my neck. I was after a murderer who left no clues. The only apparent motive was to keep men away from Tony. Chuckles or Samson? Maybe they were in love with Tony. On the other hand, Karen might be jealous enough of Tony to commit murder. I didn't count sheep that night, just characters... Next morning, while I was roaming around the carnival grounds, I found Chuckles sitting on the steps of his trailer, sewing a bright-colored costume. Well. Hi there. Sit down. Uh, thanks. Hey, you're pretty handy with that needle. Oh, you gotta be. How did it go last night? Well, I'm a little better, but I'm in no condition for a cigarette test. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to yell my lungs out every night. I just stand around and let people laugh at me. I have a friend named Otis who does the very same thing. Say, you should have been around yesterday if you like excitement. Guy was murdered. Oh? What happened? Somebody shot him. Seems like the only reason was because he liked Tony. You mean the girl who showed me around yesterday? Yeah, that's her. 
Well, I guess not many guys give her the eye. No. <laughs> yeah, there's one fellow that kind of likes you, though. A guy by the name of Leonardi. Oh? Yeah, he don't work here no more. He's on another show. Tony and him write a lot, though. I'm always mailing letters for him. Well, maybe they're just friends. Yeah, that's what she says. He worked on this show before I came over here. I don't really know him, but I bet there's something between those two. Maybe he's the one behind all this. Could be. Well, it's not good to poke your nose into other people's business. You're telling me. Well, I guess I'll look over the show. It will drop around any time. <laughs> I left Chuckles and wandered on up the midway. About half past the merry-go-round, I ran into Karen, the curve cram kid. Hi, handsome. Hi, yourself. You know, I dreamed about you last night. You do wonders for my ego. Mm, you do wonders for my dreams. Uh, care if I walk along with you? Not at all. Uh, Karen, do you know a guy named Leonardi? Oh, sure. Used to work here. Why, why do you ask? Well, I've heard he might be interested in Tony. That's risky business, you know. Tony and Leonardi? Oh, no. Now somebody's pulling your leg. Oh, why, Rick, I've been looking... Oh, I didn't know you had company. Hello, Karen. Hi. I... I just thought I'd see if you were getting along all right, Rick. He's in good hands. That's all a matter of opinion, dear. Uh, look, why don't you girls amuse yourselves while I make a phone call? Karen, you do the shimmy while Tony tells your fortune. I'll be right back. Both girls were exchanging icy stares as I pulled up my coat collar and walked away. So far, I'd accomplished nothing. And the case was still as mixed up as a chef's salad. I called Max to see if he'd uncovered anything on the latest murder. Max, this is Rick. How are you coming on that circus murder? Oh, Rick, what a headache. Get screwier every minute. Yeah, I know. The fortune teller hired me. Oh, well, then you know almost as much as I do. Uh, there's one new development, though. Well, don't be greedy, Grandpa. Shoot. That's what someone else did last night. And a guy by the name of Leonardi. Leonardi. The guy Chuckles told me about. The one who liked Tony. Max filled in with the details... The killer had written a letter to Leonardi and told him to come to a hotel room in the city because Tony was sick and had been asking for him. Then the killer rigged up a gun trap so that when Leonardi opened the door, the gun would go off and kill him. Only Leonardi was still alive. The killer had made one mistake. I thanked Max and went back to Tony's tent, certain I could use that mistake to my advantage. Hello, Ray. Hey, where did little Miss Wigglehips go? I don't think she liked your leaving her. She went back to her trailer. Mm, good. Tony, you told me that only three people were present at the party when Bruce asked you for the date. Are you certain of that? Why, yes. Just Samson, Chuckles, and Karen. They dropped in after the show, and we had coffee. Mm-hmm. Well, I want you to invite our three friends over again after the show tonight. Will you do that? Well, yes, but I don't understand. I went back to the girls' show and began my afternoon pitch. That evening, I went through it again, and then around midnight, I went to the party in Tony's tent. They were all three there when I entered. Sit over here, honey. Thanks, Karen. Hiya, weakling. Oh, please, Samson, I'm sensitive. <laughs> Say, you should have seen the matinee today. We did a bang-up routine, and the crowd ended up. We did the old one, where we all pile into a car... You know, he... They were all relaxed, and I decided it was time to try my long shot. Chuckles was just finishing his story as I took a deep breath and crossed my fingers. Back, and then we all pile out of this little car. Oldest trick in the book, but they loved it. Uh, Chuckles, 
Remember that guy you told me about the other day? I think his name was Leonardi. Sure, what about him? Well, nothing. I was just curious. Did you know him, Samson? Know him? Why, Leo and I used to room together where we worked here. Him and me is the best of buddies. And you, Karen, you said earlier that you knew him, right? Yeah, but I didn't think he was so great. He was nothing but a pest. Hey, you can't talk that way about my buddy. Oh, Samson, please. This is a party. Yeah, take it easy, Muscles. Now, let's see. You both knew Leonardi. That lets you out and leaves only chuckles. You said earlier that you joined the show after Leonardi left, didn't you, Chuckles? Yeah. <laughs> Say, why all these questions about Leonardi? Because you tried to kill him last night. You thought there was something between Tony and him. What's this? <laughs> it's a joke, that's all. Yes, clown, but the joke's on you. You're the only one who didn't know Leonardi. The only one who would rig up a gun trap the way you did. What are you... What are you getting at? When Leonardi opened the door, the bullet went over his head. Oh, over his head? That's right. You rigged the trap to shoot a normal-sized man. You're the only one here who didn't know Leonardi, didn't know he was a midget. Well, you, you're kidding. <laughs> He's a midget? That's right. Still feel like laughing? Well, I, I, well, it, it, it's on me. <laughs> the joke's on me. <laughs> you tried to kill my little pal. And, and there wasn't anything between Tony and him, huh? <laughs> Just friends, like she said. <laughs> Oh, what a laugh, a midget. Why, <laughs> oh, you dirty... Take it easy, Samson. Little Leo's my pal. I'll kill this bum when he wakes up. Never mind, friend. That's the job for the state. And so, dear Helen, my life with the carnival ended and I have come back to you. Beaten, perhaps, but ready to continue my valiant fight against the forces of evil. Justice must prevail. Truth must march ahead to... Oh, Rick. Quiet, I'm auditioning for Portia Face's life. Rick. Hmm. Was that Karen person pretty? Mm-hmm. What kind of a dance did she do? Well, she started by, uh... And then she... Well... Oh. One of those. Mm-hmm. Only more so. Well, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Helen, you're so thoughtful. Rick. Yes, baby? I wonder how I'd be doing that. Doing what? Helen, please. This is more your type. Sweet, lovely... Sweeter than the roses in May Sweet and lovely Heaven must have sent her my way Skies above me Never were as blue as her eyes And she loves me Who would want a sweeter surprise When she nestles in my arms so tenderly there's a thrill that words cannot express In my heart a song of love is taunting me Melody haunting me Sweet and lovely Sweeter than the roses in May And she loves me There is nothing more I can say Oh, that's my type, is it? Come here. Mm. 
Wow. Well. Oh, I guess a man's entitled to change his tune. Diamond, Private Detective, stars Dick Powell in the title role and is written by Richard Carr, with music composed and conducted by Frank Worth. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Bill Johnstone, Wilms Herbert, Lucille Meredith, Parley Bear, Joe Duval, and Joe Gilbert. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Bill Foreman inviting you to be with us next Wednesday at this time when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Hiya, beautiful. Get lost, Bristlepuss. You need a shave. But I have shaved. What else do you want me to do? Silly boy, she wants you to go stag. Go stag? But why? Because stag is Rexall's exclusive line of men's good grooming aids, like stag brushless shave cream. No fuss, no massage, just smooth it on, and presto, you get a clean, close shave. Your face stays smooth and whiskerless all day long. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll go stag. That's it. Join the stag line now at Rexall drugstores everywhere. Yes, to make girls care. Ghost Dad. Wednesdays this fall, hear Groucho, Gildy, and the Halls of Ivy on NBC. Thanks for listening. Hope you're with me next week when I've lined up some gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.